This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. This episode of the show, we are talking bird dogs for habitat with Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 141. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side by sides to the Upland Ultralight, Wing Shooter Elite over and unders, and the Project Upland CZ USA crowdsource shotgun. They've got pumps, they've got semi autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. Head over to CZ USA.com to learn more. And by Garmin, makers of high quality GPS tracking navigation tools for your bird dog, for you. They've got wearables like my Garmin Phoenix watch, and they can even help make you a better wing shot with their Zero S1. Through the rest of the month, April 2021, the Garmin Zero S1 Trap Shooter Trainer is on sale, 20% off, regularly 1000 bucks. It's on sale for 799 through the rest of the month. 
If you're not familiar what it is, you might want to check out a recent episode of the Hunting Dog Podcast. Ron Bame interviewed Dave Miller, and they talked extensively about it. But I'll give you a brief description. The Garmin Zero S1 Trap Shooting Trainer is the first in its class to offer a live-fire mobile trainer that captures every shot taken, provides immediate feedback, and keeps score directly on a 5-inch sunlit viewable touchscreen display. Built for hunters of all skill levels, the Zero S1 supports American Trap Singles and Handicap as well as an Upland mode, which allows both trap shooters and Upland hunters from all aspects to gain insight into their strengths and weaknesses of their shots taken. There's a bunch of videos on it and a whole lot more information. If you're interested, check it out at Garmin.com and by Sage and Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies, the legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomole design, frame steel door, and the new Dakota Guard, an FDA and EPA-approved antimicrobial additive that is included in small quantities during the product's production, protects your kennel and your dogs from a whole bunch of bacteria. Just another way that Dakota 283 is committed to keeping your pet safe. Head over to dakota283.com to learn more. All right, another reminder to catch the 2,000 Miles Film Tour, an endless migration feature film in partnership with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Don't miss it. Head over to backcountryhunters.org to learn more and find out if the 2,000 Miles Film Tour is coming to a city near you very soon, starting in April. All right, we're jumping into our interview today with Tom Carpenter and Chad Love, editors of both their respective Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever Journal. We're talking the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign running now through the rest of the month through April. Get your votes in, vote for your favorite breed, support the mission of the Habitat organization, Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. We do a little hunting season recap. We talk briefly about introducing kids to the outdoors, and we even mix in a little spring turkey talk. With that said, let's jump right into it and welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland podcast, Tom Carpenter and Chad Love. And we're live recording on the Project Upland podcast. How you doing today, guys? Pretty good. Glad to be How here. How are you, Nick? Oh, I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. And uh, we've got two guests here on the Project Upland podcast. I got a question for you, Carp. How do I sound, Carp? You sound good. I can hear you. Okay, good. Well, I, the reason I ask is because this is the uh, this is the first episode I'm doing from the garage. You guys can maybe kind of gather that from looking at it. But I recently moved my office out here to the garage. This was my, I guess you could call it my COVID project. This was an unfinished building, and we uh, I did a lot of work to it last summer with a uh, with a friend and got the office out here, got the dog kennels, the hunting gear, the whole thing. I got to work on my background a little bit. You guys can see some, a ladder and some foam insulation there, but the sound, the sound was what I was real curious about. Cause this is now the project up in podcast studio. The, the listener should know there's also a small green extruded plastic chair on a countertop <laughs> behind Nick and I don't know what that is, so that, we'll just, that we'll is just the, give him a visual. Uh, that's the cabin Adirondack chair that belongs to my son, who just turned three years old on Saturday. So <laughs> there's it, that. It, it looks it looked it looked hobbit sized. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, to hear. and you probably can't make it out, but that dark thing along the wall behind me there—that's the fan of my first turkey. Uh, it's leaned up there, and there's a bunch okay. of a bunch of rough grouse fans there too. I got to do something with those in the garage. 
Okay. Well, you got you got it's a man cave. You got the project now. Only problem is now it's getting springtime. You won't be back on this project till what next winter? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. But <laughs> yeah. we got the we got the studio set up and we're recording here first episode. But enough about me. Enough about the the podcast studio. Let's let's hear from our guests a little bit. I am joined by two new guests to the podcast. Excited to have these guys on. They are from one of our two of our favorite organizations, I should say. Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever, and we're going to have them introduce themselves right now. Chad, we'll start with you on the top. Just tell us who you are, where, what part of the world you're in, and what you do for Quill Forever. Sure. Uh, my name is Chad Love, and I am the, uh, the Quill Forever uh, journal editor and brand manager. And I've, uh, I've worked for PF and QF for, well, it'll be three years this, okay. this month, actually. And uh, so what I do is, is I edit the, uh, the, the Quill Forever journal. I'm sort of the, the Quill counterpart to, to CARP. And uh, live here in Oklahoma, uh, so I don't. I'm actually not based in the home office. I live in Quail Country, so uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's sort of the thumbnail sketch of me. I live here. I live in Woodward, Oklahoma, which is in the northwest part of the state, which is sort of Oklahoma's okay. Quail Country. And uh, uh, have uh, as far as as dogs and family, I've uh, I'm married with two two boys, one in college, one in high school, and uh, have four dogs right now, uh, three setters and a pointer, and. Uh, enjoy uh, quail hunting all over the country and and so the uh the job fits me i uh, i really enjoy it good deal i wouldn't imagine you would find yourself in that role without a passion for quail and and probably bird dogs which it which it sounds like you definitely have uh good stuff carp tell us a little bit about yourself I'll try and give you a thumbnail parallel to, to Chad's. My name is Tom Carpenter. Uh, people call me Carp, uh, as you can tell by, by Nick's introduction here. Um, I am the editor of Pheasants Forever Journal and the content side of the Pheasant Forever website. So that's my, that's my position within the PFQF organization. Um, I've been, I think it, it'll be four years I've been with the organization uh, this summer. So Chad and I have been editors, though, for this exact same amount of time. Chad joined the organization. Uh, there previously was one editor, did both publications. And with with the expanded focus on quail of our overall organization, uh, Chad got hired and ably so does the job for the quail forever side of the organization. That was a great boon to me because while I have hunted quail and I love quail, I'm not from quail country. Uh, I, I did grow up with some quail, but I grew up in southwestern Wisconsin. I grew up a pheasant hunter, have always been a pheasant hunter. To me, there's uh, part, part, of the, part of the deal is there's all kinds of hunting and then there's pheasant hunting. And that's always sort of what I've been. Uh, cool. and, and Pheasants Forever has allowed me to uh, focus on the conservation side of the uplands and what's good for pheasants is good for butterflies is bees quail you name it and and so that that's a rewarding part of it i uh, as i alluded to and i'm sure we'll get in a little more detail when we start talking bird dogs i grew up in southwestern wisconsin in the driftless region down there but now i live in minnesota i live uh, just west of the twin cities and um, that's a pretty good base for getting around the Midwest to do a lot of different activities, yeah. not only bird hunting, but other, other stuff, too. I have three grown boys. Um, all f- have flown the coop, flushed, so the, they flushed the field, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. and are out on their own. And, uh, but I'm still living in Minnesota and, uh, and love it here, but I love it all across upland bird country. So that's cool. just a little, little flavor of who we've got here. Carp, your introductions are always so much better than mine. <laughs> I've just patterned them after yours, Chad. I, I just 
tried to parallel you. Well, Carp did go second, Chad. So, you know, you kind of were in you were uncharted territory. I mean, you sort of laid the groundwork and then, you know, Carp built on what you put down. Yep. yep. <laughs> well, before we dive into a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about today, I got a couple. Well, this one is good because both of you guys mentioned this, but you both have boys that are older than mine. Mine, as I mentioned, he just turned three last weekend. And he, I mean, he's definitely, you know, this is my my first time through it, obviously, but he's definitely interested in about everything that I'm interested in. So whether it's birds or feathers or shotguns and dogs and all that stuff. So he's he's thinking about it. But any tips for, for introducing kids to the outdoors? Carp, you go first. Well, I uh, all my boys still like to hunt. Uh, they do live in urban areas. And they make it a point to be hunters, to buy licenses, to hunt. Uh, they love bird hunt. They're, they're steadily migrating the way I've migrated my entire uh, hunting life, is, which is toward the uplands. And they're all committed to that. They do like deer hunting. They do like turkey hunting. We're planning our, we've got our spring turkey hunts all planned out. Cool. I guess, Nick, my, my main uh, advice would be make it fun from the start. Yeah. You know, make it easy, make it smooth, make it fun, make it low key, get them involved, get them hooked uh, well before they're even hunting on doing things outdoors yeah. and the magic of the magic of the outdoors. That's that's about as simple as I can say it without telling all the stories of how I did it. Just keep it simple, keep it fun yeah. and short and little, little adventures and they'll they'll buy into it. Yeah. Cool. How would you short, short attention spans. Short attention yep. spans is is the thing that you have to to, yeah. uh, uh, to to worry about. And so what I do with mine, so you know, my boys, my my oldest boy, uh, he's more of the you know the, the hunting and fishing type. My youngest is is not quite into it yet. But I, I've always just been of the of the opinion that you know, if you introduce them to it with no pressure, and and, and you know no no expectations, then and and make it fun like what Carp said. Then that they'll come around to it, you know, yeah. and and be adaptable. Like if if you take them fishing, if they want to throw rocks in the pond, well then you throw rocks in the pond. If they want to, you know, if if they want to wade around in a creek, then you wade around in a creek. And so so you know, it's like I, I've I've always taken the path of least resistance when it comes to that. And yeah. uh, and, and so, you know, I, I I think people who like really push their kids into that. Uh, I, sometimes that can be kind of counterproductive, you know, because they're kids and they're going to rebel against what you want them to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ch- Chad's right. You know, don't don't try and make them into an image of you or what you want them to be. Mine are all very different. They like different aspects of hunting. They like different types of hunting, uh, and they like one is just a participant. He wants to go. He just wants to do it. Another one, he likes to. He likes to come home successfully he's driven and the other one is more into oh look at this flower you know he's he's hard he's hard to keep on the task when you're out there hunting like chad said and i I remember early fishing trips where it was a frog chasing trip and not a fishing trip and that's and that's fine and and you make mistakes and you figure it out as you go but you know you know chad hit it keep keep it fun do it do it the way they want to do it and and they'll, they'll come around and they grow, you know, they grow and evolve as they get older. Like my oldest, you know, he's the, he's the one who's the outdoorsman. And, uh, when he was younger and he wasn't much of a bird hunter at all. And I think it's partly because he, he just didn't like walking. And, uh, so as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little bit more interested in bird hunting. So we've started going bird hunting some, uh, he's gotten a little bit more serious about deer hunting. He shot his first deer this past season. And so I think that, uh, you know, that as you get older and as your interests change and, and as they kind of become who they are going to be, 
you have to kind of tailor your expectations to to what they are, you know, because they're they're individuals. Yeah. So, yeah, Carp, we lost you there for a second, but we're we're uh, we're good, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that that's good stuff, guys. I mean, it's it seems to be like when I hear people talk about it in a that have had good experiences in a positive way, they all seem to kind of echo that. You know, don't don't force what you love onto your kids, you know, give them the exposure, give them the experience. And it's interesting when you, when, you know, when I think about, I look back on my childhood and all of the, I mean, I was really lucky. My parents exposed me to a lot of the stuff, whether it was hockey or golf or baseball or sports or the outdoors or hunting and fishing. My dad, he loved, he loves to hunt and he loves to fish. He doesn't do it all that much, but he, all he did was just give me, you know, open the door for me. And, you know, they, they never would have known that it would probably become my number one passion, but that's just the way I found it. And I, I have no expectation that my son will think about it the same way that I do, but if he can experience it and appreciate it, you know, that's, uh, that's what I hope for sure. Carp, you mentioned another thing that I want to talk about before we again, dive into the, the meat of our conversation, but it's spring. we got people thinking about different activities. Turkeys are on my mind. I am a very new Turkey hunter. I went on my first Turkey hunt a couple of years ago hunted last year a little bit was unsuccessful i was successful my first year thanks to uh thanks in part to some really good friends and mentors but i'm going to be going again this year talk to me about what's what's going on uh what are you looking forward to on the turkey front carp oh man we're really going on the side roads here (laughs) yeah i've been a turkey hunter for 25 years um a long time i don't I don't do, I know body counts, but I don't do them. So I, I, I've progressed through my turkey. I, I, to be honest, I rarely pull the trigger on a turkey anymore. It's mostly other people that I'm taking out. I, I eat my sons and others. I sometimes can hardly stand to shoot them anymore. But when I say, oh, wow, I got X turkeys this spring. I don't shoot them all. It's, it's other people. I don't. I don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't really care to shoot them that that much. But I do love to hunt them. Well, I'm taking. I'm going to hunt this spring. I'll hunt uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin twice, uh, South Dakota, and Nebraska. And cool. uh, I, I can't fit any any more in with our with our publication schedule. So I'm a pretty serious turkey turkey hunter uh, in the springtime. I, I do love hunting turkeys and. Uh, I I know I know a few secrets other than just get out and get after it. And yeah. The one thing I always say about calling turkeys is, and if you're starting to hunt turkeys, patience is your virtue. And my only advice is when you think about calling and working a turkey, is that a turkey gobbler don't got nowhere to go, and he's got all day to get there. So yeah. just keep that in mind when you're hunting turkeys. That's yeah. that's carp's turkey hunting 101. I like it. I like it. That's good stuff. And and that's, you know, that's the situation that I found myself in last year. I'm new and it's, it's, I like it because I, I basically brought back to square one. You know, I've been grouse hunting for a long time. Turkey and I got no confidence, nothing. So I went out last year by myself for the first time and got out there at, you know, when I needed to be right before sunrise and I start doing some calls, I could barely make a noise on it, but I can do something. And I think I I have an owl call too, but I didn't hear a gobble never heard a gobble. And at that point I just was like, I, I was lost. You know, I have no confidence to, to draw on, no experience to go back. And I just find myself lacking a lot of confidence, but that's, I mean, that's part of doing anything new, right? You just gotta, like you said, you just gotta get out there and go. 
I'm I'm the anti-carp when it comes to turkey hunting. I'm I'm, I'm just a casual turkey hunter. I uh, I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, which is in the central part of, of Oklahoma in a suburban environment. And so, you know, growing up, I was I was a diehard uh, angler, you know, bass fisherman. So for okay. me, growing up, springtime was bass fishing. And then I moved up here to Woodward, and uh, the fishing is less than stellar in this part of the country. Uh, and so I, I got into turkey hunting for a, you know a, a period of time. And then just gradually kind of got out of it. And I'm to the point now where it's like, uh, I'll, I'll take an armed walk a few times during spring turkey season. And if I, if I see something, if I can call a tur- turkey in, you know, that's fine. If not, I'll just, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. Carp's pretty diehard though. <laughs> well, it's opening, opening weekend or opening week in Minnesota next week. Carp, is that going to be your first hunt? Yeah, okay. I won't go into all the yellow details, but I okay. I sort of backed into a. I usually don't like uh, early early seasons, but our spring is very early this yep. year, so I'm yep. I'm actually a little excited. To be honest with you, I really don't get have traditionally haven't gotten serious about my turkey hunting until May. Okay, I re, I really like going in May and it, actually late uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but. So yeah, I'm starting on the first season next week uh, in Minnesota. So, okay. which is pretty early, but yeah. like as we all know, who are living in the Upper Midwest, spring is early this year. I mean, I'm looking outside now at green grass and budding trees. It's unheard, of, you know, not unheard of, but it's early. Yeah, it's definitely early. We uh we had a a fairly mild winter and and we had a couple couple of bouts where I know I'm in contact with my buddies out in the cities quite a bit and they've. You guys have been pretty clean for a while. We got a little bit of snow and stuff. Actually, last night we got a bunch of hail, which was kind of odd. But um, we got some rain. It's going to be going to be greening up. I've been getting in the woods and running the dogs on some grouse. I've seen a few woodcock up here, so that's cool. Chad, what, what have you been up to? Have you been? Are you out running the dogs in the spring? Are you up to other stuff? What's going on? Yeah, I you know I've I've got a new pup. Well, okay. she's not a new pup. She's a year old now, but uh, uh, the, the COVID year kind of stunted her development a little bit. So, uh, no. uh, you know, spring and summer this year is is when I'm really going to try to concentrate on on getting her ready for next season and doing a little fishing. Uh, yeah. Getting out and, uh, you know, like I said, maybe shoot a turkey if I can find one. If not, don't worry about it and just keep sure. running the dogs. Yeah. Good deal. Well, let's let's rewind a little bit. I think both of you guys alluded to this a little bit in your intros, but I'd like to capture, just because it's your first time on the podcast, I'd like to capture really the spark for you in the world of up and hunting and bird dogs. Where that where that came from? Was it was it very early on, something you found later? Talk to me about your intro to upland hunting, Chad. Well, you know, I I probably come from it a little bit differently than some people. Um you know, because I was raised by a single mom. Uh, my parents were divorced, were divorced when I was nine. And, uh, and so I, and I lived in a, you know, a, a suburban environment, you know, Norman, Oklahoma. And so I didn't really have the opportunity all that much to, uh, uh, or I didn't come from a bird hunting tradition. I'll put yeah. it that way. You know, I yeah. mean, we didn't have, we didn't have pointing dogs growing up or anything like that. My dad likes, liked to hunt and fish back then and still likes to hunt and fish, but he, again, he didn't come from a bird hunting tradition. So I, I didn't really start bird hunting uh, until I was in my early adolescence. And for me, it was a totally organic experience. You know, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I was a kid, uh, you know, we were talking about introducing kids to, to nature and everything. I, you know, and, and some kids are just naturally drawn to that. Yep. And I was one of those kids, you know, that, that I didn't need, I didn't need any encouragement to, uh, uh, you know, to go wade in a creek or to, you know, take up hunting and fishing. But it was something that I kind of had to learn on my own. And, uh, and so that's what I did. You know, I mean, I lived, uh, we lived south of Norman in a small town that where I was able to, uh, 
to kind of roam the fields around there with uh, with a shotgun. And, and uh, so my introduction to bird hunting was actually, you know, kicking up quail out of fence rows, <laughs> which is, you know, a pretty non-traditional way of, of, of kind of backing into bird hunting. But uh, uh, my love for it just kind of grew from there. You know, I mean, I used to be I used to be like a, a hardcore, you know, do everything kind of, of outdoorsman. You know, I mean, I, I was a three season deer hunter, was a pretty passionate bow hunter, absolute fanatical waterfowler. You know, I've had Chesapeake Bay Retrievers my entire life. And, uh, and, and gradually over the years, I've just kind of like, as I've gotten older, I've kind of started focusing on, on things that, that matter to me. And, the, and I've found as I've gotten older that the thing that really matters to me is, is upland bird hunting. That's the one thing that, uh, ha- has been a constant in my life. And, uh, uh, and so I, I, you know, I've, I've kind of given up everything else besides that. Yeah. Carp, how about you, upland bird hunting? I, uh, I came to upland bird hunting, uh, through my family. Uh, as I said, I was born and raised in southwestern Wisconsin, the driftless area of southwestern Wisconsin. Yeah. If you're not familiar with it, it's, uh, it's incredible. It's hill country. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Southeastern Minnesota, southwestern Wisconsin, north eastern iowa northwestern illinois or that 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 corner it's sort of a magic corner and it's a wonderful area about the only thing you don't have for to grow up a kid i can't imagine a better place the only uh maybe drawback is no lakes it's it's all streams but that streams yeah that turned me into a river fisherman and a trout fisherman's uh trout and smallmouth bass but as far as my father was a hunter uh he's it was just, it was the fabric of life where and when I grew up. Uh, I was born in 1962. I came of age in the early 70s, and my father was a hunter. I think we, as his three boys, I had two brothers, made him into a more serious hunter than he was. But he knew it, he introduced us to it, and then we, in turn, got him more involved with it. He loved pheasant hunting. Well, with a passion, he had bird dogs when when we were small. His okay. best bird dog was uh, uh, Lab Airedale Cross, and we when I grew up, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I got my first bird dog hunting dog that I owned. Uh, it was a basset hound. We hunted with basset hounds because we hunted rabbits and pheasants uh, when we weren't hunting deer or squirrels, and. You talk, you think basset hound. They're really they're they're excellent bird dogs. They for pheasants because they're slow. And I I, I sort of liken it to this: you, you send out, you're used. They're obviously they they flush. They they trail sure. like a hound. A, a rabbit they trail very slowly, and the rabbit runs a big circle and comes back to where you you jumped it. And that's that's how we hunt we hunted. Uh, but with pheasants, you could always tell when the dog was on a pheasant. Number one, they bayed differently. They bay, the howl. They they yipped instead of bay, and they went straight. They didn't go in a big circle, you know, a pheasant. It, or they, they'll zig and zag, but for the most part, trying to get away. Sure. And the, the only trouble with growing up hunting with basset hounds and being serious about pheasants was basset hound will take fur over feather every time. And as soon as they jump a rabbit... Off they'd go, and you go, oh, They're crap. off the bird. <laughs> They're off the bird. So I, sh- I grew up hunting behind basset hounds. Uh, we had uh, multiples in our kennel, and I had my own from the time I was 10 years old. And um, she passed away when I was a junior in college. So I literally grew up with her. 
so that that was my bird hunting. We also had there were quail down there. We had a few coveys, as Chad knows. I've written about that. My and we also had some rough grouse in the in yeah. the woodlots. So that was my bird hunting background. I came I came to it. And bird dogs through my family, I'll, I'll be them, non-traditional bird dogs. Uh, and like I said, we also hunted deer. Uh, deer hunting's religion in Wisconsin, as most of us, as a lot of us who listen know. Yep. And I got, I got into turkey hunting uh, in some of the first years when turkey hunting was available in Wisconsin. I saw them be reintroduced in, onto the landscape in, in southern Wisconsin and was and was hunting them as early as is the early eight era, era the mid 80s when i was in college which was only a few years after after yeah. they were introduced in the late 70s very cool yeah i, w- I was going to ask you about chasing grouse and the driftless i have just so you know i've spent a little bit of time in the driftless i think fishing once and then that was actually where i went on my first turkey hunt and Man, I mean, I know there's a lot of cool places that turkeys live, but that topography and the terrain around there, and being getting up on some of the high ridges and hearing the turkeys gobble, I mean, it was it was incredible. Yeah, but I, I am as I'm far a as diehard. As, oh, go ahead, Chad. Uh, no, I was going to say I, I'm a diehard prairie rat, but the driftless region is one of those areas where I could I could almost yeah. see myself living there. Uh, I, I just love that area. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, except for it's, the fact that the, the grouse are not doing so well there, but. Yeah, they're 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 challenged there. You yeah. know, I I liken a lot of it to a part of it is the reason the the bobwhite quail has has had issues in the upper Midwest here. I mean, not only the winter, we all know that, but it's habitat related too. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of the habitat relates to going away when the when the family dairy farm went away. Yep. When and that that and I'll also tell you this about southwestern Wisconsin, we had. Mucho huns when I was growing up too. Mm-hmm. I've heard and about just that. Excellent to outstanding hun hunting. The reason we had cow pastures and we had alfalfa fields. Why do we have cow pastures and alfalfa fields? We had dairy farms. And now there's, to be honest with you, there's more CRP. There's more grass down there, but there's less in the in, in all the driftless in all four of those states. Yeah. Uh, but now there's there's more tall grass and there's less short grass and less alfalfa, i.e., and less huns. It seems crazy. I wonder I wonder where the closest huns would be to Wisconsin now. I mean, just knowing that they were there. I mean, would you have to go as far as you know, western North Dakota or something to find huns? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's still a few down there. There's yeah. a few, few in western Minnesota. But yeah, I think eastern Dakotas. Yeah, if you yeah. want any types of numbers, and then the farther west, the better. Right. The better it'll get, you know. Yeah. But there, I've I've a little. I I actually have, and I could probably dig them up. Old pictures from Racine and Kenosha County in Wisconsin in the early 1900s, like 1905. Just people with strings of Huns. Wow. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. a that's a, whether you like to fly fish or or hunt. I mean, Driftless is is a place uh, very very cool and b- big area. It's a you know it's really a topographical feature and it's but yep. it kind of separates it from the area around it. But yeah, it's really unique, really cool ecosystem. But yeah, awesome stuff. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about bird season last year. We don't need to go for for a whole season recap or anything, but I know that COVID was obviously a, a big factor on a lot of people's hunting camps and trips and that sort of thing. But fortunately, you know, we could still get, get by doing pretty good outdoors and do some hunting. Were, were there some memorable moments, any, uh, any big hunts for you that, that stick out, Carp? Uh, I, 
you know, people always say, what kind of hunting, what kind of outdoor sports do you like best? And my usual answer is, well, whatever I'm doing at the moment. But it, <laughs> like like Chad, I'm, I'm an up, I continually have evolved and evolved and evolved to be yeah. more of an uplander. And it's to the, to the detriment of my deer hunting, uh, as you can tell from my background. Me too. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm a deer hunter too. And to be honest with you anymore, I, I just, I like to go out I, and I, I usually will shoot the first deer I see. So I can go bird hunting because yeah. uh, I love to eat venison and, and it's a, it's, it's a meat gathering uh, adventure for me. So my bird hunting last season was, I, I thought it was a very good season. Maybe obviously, maybe not. I, I really focus on pheasants. Every, everything is warm up, warming up for pheasants. Uh, I did a, a couple of sharp tail hunts uh, in the Dakotas. It did had a very good season. I think it was a good year for sharp tails. Yeah. Uh, at least I, based on my evidence of me and my one little twenty nine pound bird dog, we had no no <laughs> problems finding finding sharp tails. Uh, so that that was a great a great start. I usually do, and Nickel sort of Nickel sort of be uh, shake his head at this, but I I do my woodcock and grouse hunting. It, before pheasant season and once pheasant starts it hits it, pheasants all yeah, the time you're missing the best part of it but i get it i get it i, I know i know but I, I will say this i had some nice grouse hunts last Good. uh early, early last fall as early as the early weekends of the season when traditionally you think oh god mm-hmm. there's too many leaves in that and i was in minnesota not even in the classic grange and and actually i was pl- i shot more more grouse in the first part of the season last year than I have for years. Cool. And then I, th- I thought the woodcock migration was pretty good. Uh, I love woodcock hunting. I always, I have my little sayings. I told you about my uh, turkey calling saying, uh, when I, it went with grouse and woodcock, my, my, my line is I go woodcocking and woodcock hunting. And once in a while I get a bonus rough grouse. Sure. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's where my focus is. And in chat, Chad, Chad loves woodcock too, cause he doesn't have them down there and he, he loves them too. He'll, he'll talk about that. So then I started pheasant hunting and it was a great pheasant season. I did almost all, I'd say 75, 80% public land pheasant hunting. Western Minnesota was really good. Uh, I think we all saw the COVID effect of, of some of this reactivation of hunters and there was an assault on the public lands. And I, I, I'll just use that word. Our public lands really got hammered last year. Still the hunting was good. I did a lot of weekday hunting. And, and I hunted all the way th- through uh, January. You know, South Dakota opened up its pheasant yep. season all the way through January. I passed up a, a late trip to Kansas. I was sort of getting burned out from travel. And so I did what I, what I consider shorter travel trips to the Dakotas into January because we did have a fairly mild January. We had did. Some fan- had some fantastic hunts uh, right through January. I guess the so the only the that was sort of my season had just a, a lot of good dog work which we'll we'll talk about more. Yeah. And I think what I'd say is if, if we saw anything and I, I would guess all three of us on this podcast would echo it and I think Chad will too because I know some of his experiences is we need more publicly accessible places to hunt uh, as 
and and that's just God's honest truth, and that's what pheasants. One of the things pheasants forever and quail forever is about not only the habitat but the places to for us and our bird dogs to roam. Yeah. So I'll sort of leave. I'll quit rattling on and and let Chad take it from there from for his season. Yeah, we'll invite Chad in here. I am curious. One thing, Carp, on your on your sharp tail hunts were they more early season? You said kind of kind of did everything before early season, but I was curious if you did anything late on sharp tails. No, they were very early. They were they were dealing with the heat scenarios. Which, to be honest with you, I and Chad, Chad and I have hunted the heat in in Kansas for early sharp tails. There, I sort of I got to be honest with you, I, I sort of enjoy it. I get, getting up early, getting after it, getting out there. Eleven, you 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 get three, you get four or five hours in if you you can, if you're smart, yeah. you'd play play your dog right, and especially with somebody like Chad who's got multiple dogs, you know, you can put one down and bring one out for the last hour, and then eleven, twelve o'clock, you're done. You, you you're not yeah. going to hunt the afternoon. You might not hunt the evening. You can relax. You can sit in the shade of cottonwoods. You can go fishing. You know, maybe at night if you're depending on where you're at in the evening, you can go dove hunting. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's yep. it's pretty damn relaxing way to hunt. You know, who, who can hunt all, all day? You know, so I. But it's it's early. I, I when I think of sharptails, I always think early because I'm always thinking. This is warming up for pheasants. You know, I'm getting ready for pheasants. So yeah, I, I think the timing. I've talked about it before. The timing just works out that way. And you mentioned, you know, early season grouse hunting. Being in the early grouse woods mid September, it's not always the most fun place to be. I mean, it's you're you're due for some frustrating moments there, swatting bugs and trying to see through the green jungle. So the fact that you can go out and do what I would dare say a more casual hunt, where you just you know walk in just some beautiful short grass prairie chasing sharp tails i mean early season it's it's a really cool way to kind of get the hunting season started and get ready for those epic long october november days you of course know? it can also be pretty tough too you know carp and i on yes. those, oh, yeah. those early season yeah. chicken hunts in in kansas uh you never know what you're going to get you could get uh, 100 degree days you could get 40 mile per hour for winds sure. you could get uh, tornadoes yeah. even so it's uh <laughs> yeah, last last time Chad and I set up a chicken camp in Kansas, it was 102 in the afternoon. That's hot. When we when we when we arrived, and uh, I, they, Chad still laughs. I set up my cot outside. I didn't even set up a tent. I just slept outside. And we hope and God God help us the thunderstorms. You know, usually when it's that hot, you're going to brew, brew up some thunderstorms. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I took I took the chance, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, Chad, tell me a little bit of a recap on your season, some things that stand out, some maybe memorable hunts that you had. Well, again, I'm the anti-carp here. Um, <laughs> my season started out great. Uh, my, my September my September and uh, was probably, you know, one of the better hunting parts of the season I've ever had. You know, I, I started out, uh, opened up the, the Nebraska grouse season up in the Sand Hills, had a fantastic hunt with a couple of friends, you know, shot, uh, shot some sharp tails and uh, got some good dog work. My, my, my oldest setter last season had, uh, had, had gotten what I thought was a, a torn ACL. And so that kind of blew the last part of last season. And so I've been rehabbing him. And so I was really anxious to kind of see how he would run. I hadn't really, I've been kind of rehabbing him and running him over the summer, but I hadn't really like run him hard. And so it was great to get him out and to, you know, to see that, that actually it, it wasn't actually a, a ended up not being a torn ACL and he ran, he runs just as hard as he ever did. So that was good. You That's know, good. Yeah. had a good hunt in Nebraska. I love going up there and, and hunting that early season. Again, it's tough and it's, it's hot and you're, you're pretty much done by 10 o'clock, but uh fantastic scenery, you know, and uh, 
had a good hunt there. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, went to Wyoming on a sage grouse hunt and, uh, uh, totally do it yourself camping, you know, just, just like I, I had shot sage grouse in Montana before, but I'd never shot one in, in Wyoming. And so this was one of those, those opportunities to just kind of go and see if you can figure it out. You know, that's one of those things I like to do is, is just kind of pick an area, pick a, a species and, and go and see if you can figure out how to hunt them. And yeah. so, uh, uh, we went out there and, and, uh, had a, had a great hunt there. Dogs ran well, found birds and, uh, uh, came back home. And I live up in, in Northwest Oklahoma, just, just South of the Kansas border. So I hunt Kansas. I hunt Kansas probably as much as I do Oklahoma. And, uh, one of the things I like to do as this carp alluded to earlier is, is the early chicken season, uh, starts on September 15th in Kansas. And, and so went up there, had a, had a solo hunt up there and, and, you know, uh, can't remember. I think I shot a couple birds. But, uh, uh, and so, you know, the, the season was looking really good and I, and I have a young pointer that that's, that's coming along. And, uh, and then when, the, when the Nebraska season opened, I, I went up there cause I can, I can make it to Nebraska in about five and a half hours. And so I, okay. I went up there, uh, when the Nebraska uh, pheasant quail season opened and, and just kind of did a solo hunt. And, uh, on, on the way back from that hunt, and that was, I think on November, can't exactly when it was, it was in mid November on the way back from that hunt, I, uh, I, I T-boned a deer just, just south of the Kansas line and uh, totaled my truck, uh, oh, completely boy. totaled my, my truck, uh, and then found out the next day that I uh, had contracted COVID. And so, oh, <laughs> so it was like this double whammy, you know, I was like, I, so I, I, you know, I don't have a truck. Uh, I, I'm in quarantine now and I'm sick. And, and so I, I had to, I had to figure out, so that kind of blew both November and, and most of, of December because I, I, I did eventually, uh, I was able to find a, a new truck. But, uh, you know, I was sick for a while and then I, I'm, I'm kind of a, I've sort of turned into sort of a, a COVID semi long hauler. It took me a while to get, really? get over it. Yeah. And so I, I had to cancel a lot of the hunts that I had planned. And, uh, and when I did start hunting, it took me a while to kind of get to the point where I could walk more than a, a couple of miles without really being gassed. And so most of my hunts, when I did start hunting again, were just like really local close hunts. And, uh, uh you know, and, and I had, you know, obviously I, I, I kind of had mixed results on those. I mean, I, I found some birds and, and had some fun and, and, uh, uh, was able to get the dogs out and run, but, uh, it did kind of put a crimp in the season. The, and the only real, uh, out of state trip that I took beyond that, uh, was I, I was able to, to go to Arizona at the very tail end of the, the season out there and, and hunt gambles quail. And, uh, that, that was a species that, uh, that I'd never shot before. And it was another one of those, those things where I, I wanted to kind of go out and see if I could, could figure out on my own how to how to find gambles and so i did that and then i've got a buddy out there that uh that i hunt with some and and uh had a good trip there and, and that kind of that was a pretty good way to end the season but I'm, I'm looking forward to uh to next season uh hopefully hopefully yeah. i won't wreck my truck and uh and i'll be able to to hunt some more and hopefully you, hopefully your uh your antibodies hang on you won't be uh won't be <laughs> yeah the wind knocked out of you again by covid yeah did you have any did you lose a uh, lose smell or taste or anything oh yeah yeah the whole thing Lost my sense of smell, lost my sense of taste, uh, the brain fog, the muscle fatigue, all that. And I'm scatterbrained as it is, you know, it's like, like <laughs> ask carp, you know, I'm, I'm like one of those like right brain, you know, absent minded, you know, types. And, uh, so it was a double whammy for Chad, me. Chad beat me to it, but so thanks Chad. <laughs> Preemptive strike I meant to ask carp. you guys earlier if your relationship as, you know, editors of these I won't say dueling magazine, but I was curious: is it a collaborative relationship, competitive, a little bit of both? <laughs> no, it's... I'd say I don't know. 
I don't know what Chad would say. I'd say it's totally collaborative. Yeah. We 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 help each other a lot. I mean, I'll just give you one specific example. Chad's the last set of eyeballs on my magazine before cool. it hits a printer, and he's the last set of eyeballs on mine. So that that's just one example. We trade stories back and forth, and uh, I don't I don't see this, but our boss Bob St. Pierre, who is the VP of marketing at PFQF, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of I don't know. Let's, let's not get into him. He's an, he's one of those GSP guys, you know. So what's uh, he says we're we're very different and we take our magazines in very different ways and I, I guess I I don't see it because I don't think about it but that said I think Chad, Chad you'll have to say but I think we're very collaborative we're in, yeah. in, not in the least competitive no no and as a matter of fact you know I mean we we try very hard obviously a quail is a quail and a pheasant is a pheasant and I will be the first to admit that I am not I'm a I'm an, an incidental pheasant hunter. You know, I mean, I will, you know, being so close to Kansas, I will go up and, and hunt pheasants some, but for the most part, when I'm qu- when I'm hunting, I'm I'm hunting for quail, and and pheasants are just sort of a byproduct. And carp, you know, carp is exactly the opposite. He is a hardcore pheasant hunter. So the magazines are are different, but I think that we recognize that and we work together. And and actually, carp is 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 a pretty damn good quail hunter. I mean, the last time that carp came down and hunted Kansas, he he kind of waxed me. Uh, so, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to, to return that favor. Uh, I was hoping nice. to, to be able to come up and go pheasant hunting somewhere with him this year. It just didn't happen, but, uh, so I have to, but no, it, it, you know, getting back to the original point, no, it, it is a, a very collaborative effort. Uh, even though the magazines yeah. are different, uh, I help him on his magazine. He helps me on my magazine and, uh, uh, it's, it's a very, and we write for each other yeah. a lot. I mean, Chad, Chad's yeah. my, you, you, I, I hope if readers are, or people who are listening, yeah. If you join PF and or QF, if you don't, if you only belong to one, join the other to get that magazine too. I guarantee yeah. you, whether whether you get QF Journal or whether you get PF Journal, you're gonna like the other one. And so do that. And I guess the second thing I'd say is I I do love quail hunting. I mean, Chad knows that I I love quail, yeah. but. I love pheasants a little more, but let me give you, I, as we're sitting here, as Chad was talking, I, he, he was talking about, hunt. this is a, this is an actual text exchange between Chad and I, <laughs> Chad, I don't know if Chad knows what, I, I have I'm no not going to use any, I'm not going to use any bad words. Chad was in Kansas. Uh, I was so you're, asking you're Chad, implying that Chad was using bad words. <laughs> I, I was, Unfortunately, I use bad words quite often. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was... <laughs> I, I was I said it was on work I said see email and let me know if if you can help me on this and so there's an example of we, we help each other yeah. and he wrote back we'll do I'm on my way home from Kansas uh, and, and and then have to do some stuff with my kid and then he sent me a picture and it's a it's his hand up with a beautiful a beautiful rooster and it says only friggin' birds I can find today. And it wasn't friggin'. <laughs> Only friggin' birds I can find today. And I and I wrote back, thank goodness you have finally seen the light and found salvation. <laughs> so that's the type of relationship we have. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, I mean, there are some, some generational differences, you know, like I'm 32 and, and Carp is 74. <laughs> I, I was going but, to But we mesh, you know. Chad, Chad's only about ten years younger than me. He's just—he's pulling up. He's pulling up the rear. I wish so. the listeners could see your guys' smiling faces right now. 
I was I was for the most part joking when I asked that. I figured you guys had a had a pretty collaborative relationship, but it's cool. It's cool that you know you both have your unique experiences and you're put you're curating these magazines and but you've got the partnership where you can draw and, and you know you can bounce ideas off each other. It's awesome. Here's what PF and QF got when they got us, and this isn't to be. This is for both. This is bragging on both of us, but they couldn't have found people more crazy about quail or more crazy about pheasants than the two guys you have on here. And also knowing what habit, what how important habitat is for the birds we love and are, are passionate about. That's as simple as I can say it. Yeah. Well, I haven't met too many people that work for Pheasants Forever or Quill Forever that don't, you know, embody that and kind of share that that sentiment. So that's very cool. With that said, I want to we're going to segue a little bit because we did we wanted to bring you guys on so we could at least touch on the fact that it is April. It is the month of Bird Dogs for Habitat, of Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. You guys have been doing this for a while. Was it 2011? Did I see that correctly? I know, I've got it up here somewhere. I, I think it's been 2010. I think it's been 10, 10 years, 11 years. Yeah, 11th yep, year. 11 years. Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign started in 2010. And our listeners, if they've been longtime listeners, won't be, this won't be their first time hearing about it because actually, I think this is our third year as Project Upland being on as a, as a contributing partner, kind of the media partner, sharing and getting you guys some exposure. I went down, this would have been 2019 maybe, I went down to the Pheasants Forever headquarters and sat down with, uh, I believe it was Anthony Houck, Jared Wickland, and somebody else. We did an interview on it before, but again, every April, Pheasants Forever does the bird dogs for habitat campaign. And I'm not going to try to explain every last detail of it here, but Chad, do you have a, you you got anything you want to throw in for bird dogs for habitat? We'll talk a little bit about how folks can contribute. Yeah. I mean, this it's it's a fantastic way, you know, to celebrate what is, is to many of us, you know, uh, a a central component of, of bird hunting. You know, I was like, I, I know that, that I probably would not bird hunt without dogs. And I'm not saying that you, you know, that that is, is a necessity, but I mean, to me, it's a very important aspect of, of the entire experience. And so, so I think it's a great way to, to celebrate that while at the same time, you know, raising some money for conservation, you know, obviously, you know, bird dogs need bird dog habitat. And I think that's a great way to kind of, kind of summarize it is, you know, it's like these, these dogs are, are, are bred to, to go out into field and find birds. And so, you know, this is, I think, uh, a really cool way to, uh, uh, to highlight the need, you know, for the habitat and to, and to, t- to kind of get that conservation message across. Absolutely. And there is a, there is a fun component of the bird dogs for habitat campaign. And I think that's what gets the most attention. And that is involves the voting, which is tied to the donations that people send in. And, uh, every vote, every dollar that gets contributed to this campaign is a vote for the breed that you select. And yeah, that gets heated and uh, it gets a lot of gets a lot of eyeballs on it. People get excited about that. But I think perhaps maybe the the coolest part about the campaign is that, and this is something that's I don't know if it's been a component from day one, but it has since I've been following along. And that is that because of the partners beyond us, beyond what Project Upland does, there's some other key contributing partners which I'll have carp list here. But those partners contribute in a way that every dollar that gets thrown towards bird dogs for habitat is matched and it's basically every dollar turns into five dollars it's it's a four to one deal and uh people's impact is going a lot further so carp tell me about it well i I have to start with my plug that we need some votes for epignol breton uh i've been remiss (laughs) 
I've been remiss in my converse, in our conversation not talking about little Larky Lou a little bit, who is pretty familiar, who most Pheasants Forever listeners and readers are, are familiar with. She's my little French Brittany. Uh, all 29 and a half pounds of her, Chad knows her well. Yep. Uh, she, she likes to uh, ride next to Chad and dig her shoulder into Chad's and help him steer the truck sometimes. <laughs> Uh, so I'm putting in my vote, putting in my plug for some Epignol Breton votes. But you're absolutely right, uh, Chad and Nick, that this would we be would would we all be as passionate as we are about ha- upland habitat were it not for our bird dogs? And my answer is pro- probably not. They're part of the reason we do this. We do it for our, the birds. We do it for the bees, for the butterflies, for the, all the wildlife. We do it for ourselves, but we also do it to have places to take our bird dogs and. Bird Dogs for Habitat is a fun way to vote, to vote up your uh, your breed or a breed you admire. And maybe like Chad, you have multiple breeds. Put in, put in money for all of them. And it raises yeah, money f- for, for Habitat. Uh, and and a part of it, it, part of this match is, is critical. You mentioned it, Nick. And, and our, our partners in this are, of course, Project Upland hosting this podcast, uh, Orvis, I mean, listen to this lineup of sponsors. These are all sponsors putting their money where their mouth is for habitat, for birds, for wildlife, for hunters, and for bird dogs. Orvis, Sport Dog, Collars, Roughland Kennels, Purina, Food, and NAVDA, North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, a great place, especially if you're starting out with a bird dog and you want some help, some mentors, some, you know, to really start learning how to train there. They're so good at, at getting people involved. Uh, so that that's our list of sponsors that are involved, that are in with PF and QF for bird dogs for habitat and, frankly, far beyond it. But yeah. that's, what, that's, the, that's the topic at hand right now. Yeah, good deal. And uh, like I said, we're not going to go over every detail of the campaign, but uh, I will put a link in the show notes where folks can go check this out. And I will say that, you know, if you're, I mean, there's there's a bunch of giveaways and there's some things in here to sweeten the deal. Pheasants Forever, Quill Forever, they're they're very good about that, as a lot of these organizations are. But if you're not a member, you need to renew that sort of thing. April's a month to do it. Go do it. Sign up for your $35 membership and you're going to get those dollars are going to go further thanks to the partners involved. And, you know, I'll ask you guys this. I'm on the landing page for the campaign, and I see it, it references a Pheasants Forever membership, but I don't know that I've ever been a Quail Forever membership. And I'm kind of, if I can do that, I'm going to make a commitment right here on the podcast. I'm going to put 35 votes in for the English setter and become a Quail oh, Forever member. <laughs> yeah, you could, there there will be a Quail Forever. There should be a Quail Forever landing page. A separate page landing page. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, there is a Quail right. Forever landing page. And and for that thirty five dollar donation, I mean, you you know, I I think that's a really cool uh, opportunity because I mean, you get obviously you get the membership to Quill Forever, uh, and you get the Bird Dogs yeah. for Habitat decal, but you also get that pretty cool Orvis collar. It's a personalized Orvis yeah, collar. That that's, yeah, Chad's right. I was good. I was going to mention, if you haven't gone, just Google Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever, Bird Dogs for Habitat. You'll get to that landing page and take a look at, we're, part, we're working with Orvis for that collar. It's a personalized collar to your dog. It, it's pretty cool. And the note I'll make is, in, as Nick said, if you're not a member, join and see what you get there. And there's yeah. other levels, too, above 35. Yeah. Uh, but if you're already a member... Just tack on, get it, do it, do thirty-five dollars. Tack another year on. Uh, it's you're not wasting that dollar. You're just right. tacking on, uh, tacking on to your membership. 
and the pointer and setter people need to step up. I'm just going to say it right now. And yes. Come on. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'm looking at the leaderboard here. We've got we've got German short hair pointers. They are well out front, and that's uh, I know that that tends to happen. They did win last year. Bob, our uh, Bob St. Pierre, the guy we were we were talking about him a little bit earlier. He gave us a recap. He said GSPs took it home last year, but in the past, Labs, Vizslas, English setters, and wire hairs have all won. So um, if you are in the more obscure breed category, it's uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. But don't let that stop you. Just remember, your dollars are are going to go further with this campaign than they otherwise would, and you have a little fun in the process and get some bonus items. I mean, the membership alone is is good enough, but again, I know that pheasants forever and quill forever. There, I'm wearing this hat. I mean, you guys are always throwing stuff in to to make it. Uh, yeah, everybody's got their got their swag on. It's good stuff. <laughs> but yeah, short hairs are way out front. Let's go, setters. Yeah, come on. Let's let's get some traditional bird dog breeds up there. Uh, I mean, at, at the risk of of having someone punch me in the mouth for insulting their dog, but 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 come on, the the, the pointer should be above the standard poodle. It, it, I'm I'm, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I was an American Brittany guy till till Lark till my current dog, uh, little Frenchie. Uh, but American Brittany's in third place. That's that's pretty encouraging. So and then. Then, then you, you really start dropping off when you get down to oh the monster. I love monster landers, but the small monster lander and uh, red setter, Bracco, cocker spaniel. I mean, there's a lot of breeds out there. People have these dogs. Come on, yeah. folks, let's get voting yeah. now. You know, I just, I actually, I'm looking at this leaderboard here, and I'm, I'm going to point something out in either. I'm going to be taken as being controversial, or I'm going to point out a controversy within the Bird Dogs for <laughs> Habitat campaign. I see two separate categories, one for a Llewellyn setter and one for an English setter, and that in and of itself can be controversial. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not convinced that that wasn't some sort of a scheme by the GSP people to sort of Split dilute the, vote. the votes for the setters. Oh, it and was <laughs> – I, I, I had not That's got to be Bob of- St. Pierre. I had not thought of that, but you just cannot trust GSP people. <laughs> so I, I, I think you nailed it, Nick. Think you know this could be like a investigative reporting podcast yeah. from now on. Was I would like some sort of a formal report, at least from the from the VP of marketing over there. Let's, we'll put Saint Pierre on that. He's, that's a good job for him. <laughs> course you're going to get the Llewellyn people mad at us now yes well yes and that, and that uh I, I fully accept all of the blowback coming from the Llewellyn setter folks I love you guys you know my dogs aren't that different than yours so <laughs> <laughs> that is bird dogs for habitat campaign as I said I will I will put links in there and and uh of course you know folks are I, I'd like to think that people that listen to this podcast are pretty familiar with pheasants forever and quill forever in the mission. And we've got a bunch of podcasts and articles that, that highlight that. So um, if this happens to be your first exposure, check it out. Uh, you, you will not be disappointed and you'll be supporting a good cause. And we could say that all day, but I want to talk to these guys a little bit before we, before we wrap up here shortly, looking ahead a little bit, Chad, you, you said you were looking ahead to, to fall. Is there, is there anything on your radar? And before we get to the fall hunting season, you've got a pup. I mean, are you, are you working on anything specifically? What's, what's got you, what's going to keep you busy the rest of the year until fall? Uh, well, <laughs> she's a, she's a, she's a pistol. She's a handful. So, you know, getting her kind of, <laughs> kind of steadied up and sort of half broke for, for next season is, is my thing. Um, uh, yeah. you know, I've got, uh, I, I've, you know, I, I've got four dogs, which sounds really impressive. Uh, but in reality, I only have two because I've got, I've got one rescue setter. Who's a super sweet dog. Uh, he's a field trial washout, but he's not, 
he's bless his heart. He's just not a very good hunting dog. And so he's kind of a pet dog, you know? Uh, and then I've got my old setter female who is 10 years old and, and retired now. So, so my only two dogs really are, are, I've got, um, you know, a, a four year old setter who's kind of coming into his, his prime. He's, you know, he's a good dog. And then I've got my little pointer, Abby. And so my plan is to, to get her ready for next season. Um, I'm, I was kind of kicking around the idea of maybe getting another pup, but I, I, I don't know. My wife would probably kill me if I, if I, you know, had five dogs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just kind of looking forward to next season. You know, get ready for that, and then you know, try to try to make up for lost time. That's that's kind of yeah. what my my philosophy is for next season is kind of making up for this past season was kind of a lost season for me, uh, just yeah. due to the you know, truck wreck and, and COVID and everything. And so uh, uh, try to take some of those trips that I didn't try, take last season and uh, and think up some new adventures. I want to try to uh, uh, try to focus a little bit more on the southeast. You know, one of the things that I'd like to, to try to do is is uh, uh, look for some public hunting opportunities in the southeast. You know, that's always kind of intrigued me. Uh, and there's not, you know, you don't really hear a lot about it uh, because you know I, I live in a part of the of the country that uh, that a lot of guys from the southeast come to quail hunt. You know, I mean, I run into I you know I live 15 minutes from from one of the, the top WMAs in the in the state, and so I, I run into a lot of guys from that part of the country and. Uh, out hunting, and I, I want to try to see if uh, if if I can find some quail in the southeast this year. That's kind of my kind of my Don Quixote type uh, uh, cool. quest. Carp, what, what are you doing, man? You, l- tell me about the Epignol Breton a little bit. We did an interview on Epignol Bretons a while back. <laughs> Everybody loves their own breed of dogs, so <laughs> they're. Uh, I just describe them as the original Britneys. They're the ones that they're they're the closest to what 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 was brought over and, yeah. and Americanized. I'm not going to use any other term than that. We 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 turn them into something a little different, a little bigger running. She weighs her name is Lark. She weighs 29 and a half pounds. Uh, I got her. Uh, one of my joke is jokes is uh, you, you know you'll never have to have me on the podcast again because I'm telling you the three or four good lines <laughs> I have. One thing I always say is her her grandparents are from Spain. Italy and France, but she's from Iowa, and uh, and people like that. So I do. <laughs> she, she's a nice she's a nice little dog, twenty nine and a half pounds. Chadwell knows. I I keep my dogs. Uh, the, the, a nice thing about little French Britneys is they're they're close workers. They're not big runners. They're just yeah. not big enough to do it. And she she knows you know sharp tail hunting. She might get out fifty yards. Grouse hunting in the woods. 15. I mean, I'm, I'm not a pure, in some ways I'm a purist, uh, that I, if I want a point, but not for rough grouse and not for pheasants, but not for sharp tails, maybe for woodcock. So I want that dog close and she's a, she's a nice close little worker, uh, that way. Uh, as Chad also knows, she, she scratched retrieving from her contract. Uh, <laughs> but she's, she's good at finding birds. Uh, good, you know, I, I, I'll put her up again. In fact, when I hunt, when a lot of times when I hunt with Anthony, if he's got one down, uh, you know, she, he says, get a lark over here. And he used to yeah. say that with my old Brittany, Brittany Rascal. They, they, they'll point it, and they'll stay there till hell freezes over, but they'll, they'll find that bird. And they'll run them down if, if they have to. Yeah. Um, so so that, that's, that's the Epignol Breton. I've, I've actually been out having her before, before the restrictions start on, on having the dogs out on WMAs and stuff like that. I've had her out helping me turkeys, uh, not helping me, but on, on turkey scouts sure. yeah. down uh, so far. And we've been doing some trout fishing. So she'll, uh, we, we don't, we're not real formal 
Babylon training. Anybody who's read my stuff sort of knows how I do it. I just sort of call it tootle training. We just do do stuff as we yes. walk or wander, and that and that's it. That's good enough. I'll, I'll she, I always say all, all she needs to know is to come and then to sit when I wander too. Uh, she doesn't need to know much else. Just just behave yourself and find birds and hold those points. And if that's not in their noggin, you're not going to teach it. So we'll, we'll, we'll do a, a lot of wandering and, and some fishing this summer. I'd like to take her trout fishing. And, uh, and then next fall, I suspect, you know, the, the plants won't really, we're, we won't be really hitting the gel point for plants yeah. until summer sort of hits. But I, I know I'll uh, sharp tail hunt probably a couple times again as usual. I'll, I'll hunt woodcock religiously when the, when the, uh, when the migration's going on, yep. I'll probably go and chase some of those nasty, rough grouse <laughs> that don't that, that that don't sit tight for anything, <laughs> uh, which is fine. And I'll hit, I'll, I'll you know hunt pheasants hard. I, I'm hoping to get out and hunt with a few more pheasants forever chapters this year. COVID's put somewhat of a damper on that yeah. last year. Yeah. I, I so I, I'm hoping to do that, and I know at least one. Uh, chapter that I'll be hunting with uh, actually contributed. We we had a big raffle amongst just chapters, and one of the prizes was a hunt with me or Chad to do an article for the journal. And uh, we we're fortunate enough to have a a chapter from Minnesota get that win that in the in the raffle. Our Pipestone County chapter, and a uh, very traditional, well well versed and well, uh, active chapter in Western Minnesota. So I, that's so. I'm hoping to get a few more hunts with our chapters to really see what our what our PF chapters are doing out on the landscape because we sort of missed last fall because of that. I think Chad Chad would would echo that yeah. too. Yeah. So, and I'm sure there'll be a, an adventure in there uh, for quail. I didn't get quail hunting this year. It makes me feel sort of incomplete, and uh, I want to get out hunting quail. As, sh- as for me though, as sharp tails are early and hot quail are late end of the season yeah, yeah. you know yep. wrap wrap up for for me to make that to make that trip i think what shortchanged me on quail this year was that january was so mild up here i didn't have to escape yep. down to to, yep. to go after them so so that'll be it i mean as chad says it's it's a bird dog centered life and that sort of brings us full circle back to bird dogs for habitat and what pf and qf does all the time for yeah. habitat for for wildlife for pheasants for quail for butterflies for bees and for our bird dogs yeah. and that's uh it's it's going to be a, a good year of that, uh, you know, coming out of COVID here. We hope a little bit as if we all be if we're all smart as time goes on here, it could be a great a great fall to get out and about again. Yeah, I think that's maybe you, you mentioned the you know the bird dog centered life, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm so comfortable asking people on this podcast what they're doing in the spring and the summer because I, I know inevitably they're going to say something about their bird dogs and leading up to leading up to the fall and you know we kind of all live this really this this year-round lifestyle and it ebbs and flows with the seasons and uh, I, I am curious about uh, last thing here as we'll, we'll kind of leave folks with maybe a little bit of a tease but magazine preview where are we at in the magazine schedule with the next one coming out would that be the summer magazine for you guys yes our, our spring books are out our okay. summer book 
how it'll flow here is uh, summer pheasants is going to come out in early May, in May, okay. about mid-May. Oh, when is and then summer quail will follow. Uh, you know, we we have the the limiting factor is our able design team can only do one magazine at a time. Amongst all their For other sure. work, yep. Logan Hemp, Logan Hinners and Emily Snyder are really do bang up jobs designing our magazines, and we are, we are editor we as editors are thrilled to have them. And so we sort of, that'll be the flow of summer, uh, summer pheasants forever journal. And you, uh, alluded to what do we do with our bird dogs? I'll just, pe- people who read my back page or column carps corner will be interested to know that I'll just give you my title for my back pager and it's called my fishing dog. So that's, that's where I'm going. And then, and then we'll have summer quail, and I'll, I'll I'll let Chad talk about that. And, and after I talk briefly about our big upland bird hunting super issue, which which I coordinate and do, and Chad's going to have a couple big features in it. Cool. Uh, I'm going to have a couple big features. We're going to have some other writers in it. It's going to be a great issue again. It's sort of a one of those hallmarks on the calendar that that it's one of those harbingers of the up upcoming upland bird season yeah we're going to mail it in in early august and is that a bonus issue for both memberships or does that go to both memberships yes both memberships get it if so that that's real exciting and then and then i think fall after that fall starts leading quail starts leading pheasant i think i think fall quail leads pheasant and then those those come out late late September and pheasant right before most of the opening seasons for fall. And then winter comes right on. I think then we might actually jump back into uh, pheasants forever. Uh, winter issue leads quail. Uh, we like to get that one out in in, in December usually because there's there's let's face it there's a lot of pheasant hunting left as of yeah. December first. Yeah. You know, really some some people would tell you it's really not even getting getting cracking so that sure. that's a few that's a few flavors chad what do you have to say about uh the quail in there yeah pretty much the same thing so our our summer issue which so so the summer issue for both issues uh pf and qf are is the bird dog issue and so yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. and so which is is actually probably one of my favorite issues to work on uh just because you know i mean i'm a bird dog guy and corpse a bird dog guy and i think most of the members are bird dog people and so yeah. uh, uh you know that's one uh that we really, you know, it's, it's an easy one to assign, uh, because the, you, you never have a, uh, a lack of, of topics or, or writers who are, are ready, willing, and, and, and anxious to write about the bird dog. So, so the QF summer bird dog issue, that's, that'll mail in, uh, June, late June. And then the, the fall QF issue will, like Carp said, it kind of flips. And so it will mail early September. And so, yeah, so the, the fall issues, Carp, I think, I think the fall PF issue is probably the same thing. The fall issue is really probably one of our, our big hunting issues, you know, the fall hunting issue. Yeah, and, it, and it, they all, they'll have a lot of habitat in them, too, but uh, Chad's right. The fall, our themes for the rest of the year, the themes will go bird dogs. Both, both issues have bird dogs as the theme for summer, and fall will be hunting, and then winter is, I think, is habitat this year. Yeah. But all issues aren't all those topics. That's sort of the, sort the of a general topic. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say in the summer, Chad sort of spurred it when he talked about some of the content is I'm excited for, you know, so, summer is the bird dog issue for, for Pheasants Forever, too. And our lead story is our four short stories. And, and the, the umbrella is called Once in a Lifetime. 
and the only parameter for each of the four writers was it's about a bird dog and once in a lifetime has to occur in that story. Cool. And I got some artwork. We got I got some artwork done from a, a great artist who lives out in Idaho called Ed Anderson. He actually did the mural art for pheasants at the Pheasant Fest two years ago. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, he, and he did he did the artwork of of the four bird dogs for Once in a Lifetime. So that's just sort of a sort of a reader a reader treat. I, I hope at, at the front of uh, at the front of the summer journal. Oh, Always good stuff in in the magazines coming from PF and QF and plenty to look forward to. I appreciate you guys giving us a little bit of a tease and a roundup there. I'm looking forward to it. This was a great conversation, guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, sharing a little bit about bird dogs for habitat. I hope it goes without saying, but we at Project Upland are very happy and eager to to help the organizations promote this every year. It's it's fun to do, and there's a it's a win win for the organization and for the for the folks that are donating and signing up. So there's a lot to like about it. Any final thoughts, Chad? No, I just thanks for having me on and. Uh... Uh, make sure you uh, you visit and vote for your favorite bird dog, uh, preferably setters and pointers. I'll second that, <laughs> Carp. Uh, yeah, what Chad said. Get get on there and vote. And uh, if you if you have to renew or you're thinking about renewing, look at those gifts. Look at that Orvis collar. There's it's it's a pretty sweet deal. And I, we're hoping that that's a nice pot sweetener for folks to get on. And like I said, if you're already a member. You know, throw in another thirty-five bucks for your breed, and extend your membership. And uh, I guess I'll just put in a final thank you to to Project Upland for being a, a loyal sponsor of Bird Dogs for Habitat and a and a good partner with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever year round. And also the the other sponsors who are really you know put their money where their mouth is for Upland Habitat, Orvis Sport Dog. Roughland Kennels, Purina, and Navda. They're companies that are walking the walk for upland habitat in partnership with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Well said. Well said, Carp. I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to wrap up with that. It's it's getting late in the afternoon. i got to get my little English setter in the grouse woods. We're going to go chase <laughs> some birds this afternoon. Uh, that is Tom Carpenter and Chad Love from Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. That does it for this episode of the Project Double Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe or follow the show in your podcast app. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. This is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.